This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast. My name is Joe Thomas. I am the Echo's Everton FC correspondent, and I'm joined here by a regular contributor, Gavin Buckland, Chris the Wolf of Old Hall Street, Beasley, <laughs> and Connor O'Neill. For those of you who are listening and not watching, because you can watch this now, we're in a cafe, and Chris has is, is outdone all of us by wearing a black pinstripe suit to uh, to the podcast, while the rest of us are in chinos and shorts, and I'm in a brace with a broken ankle. So <laughs> if, if you're not, if you're listening to it and not watching, I'd, I'd certainly get over over onto YouTube and, and, and take a look at what's going on here because we really do make a, an odd bunch of uh, of commentators here and pundits in the in the middle of Liverpool City Centre. Well, Everton don't do summer breaks. We know that. We've had plenty to talk about all summer already. Haven't had an off-season at all, but one thing that did happen last season is the players returned for their pre-season on Thursday morning. Gav, was a break from football, from on-the-pitch matters at least, long enough for you? Or were you relieved to finally have the players pictured back at Finch Farm and going through all the midst of who could be injured and who could have a future at the club and whatnot. I don't think it's ever long enough is it really I think we could all do it like six months off really but it's it's the off the, p- the field stuff isn't it I mean years ago you know I've, I've done research I mean football closed down in June in the first couple of weeks in July I mean if you got, you got the paper there was absolutely nothing on football it was all cricket and golf but it's a, it's a 24-7 thing and the way the club has been and we, we don't need to go into that it's you know you'd say back page you know most days hasn't it really since the end of the season uh, and um, it keeps us busy doesn't it it keeps us talking you know we, we, it gives us time to fill on podcasts but yeah you could you could do with the break you, you become a little bit tired of it don't you really at the end of the day but it, it's good to see the players back and we said it's a good way of getting rid of last season's memories it's like a fresh start isn't it really so yeah good to see them back and um, you know everybody's been on holiday by the looks of things so yeah it's uh, give us something to look forward to for next season already. absolutely absolutely fresh start obviously Sean Dyche taking us through his first pre-season as Everton manager Chris you've written a lot about this over you know both when he signed as Everton when he joined at Everton and also you know trying to fill some of the gaps this summer although there haven't been that many gaps to yeah. fill for the reasons that we've we've already spoken about I mean what do you think is going to Sean Dice going to have in store for the players or something? I mean I saw the interview with, with Dwight McNeil on the first day and you could already see him wincing I think from the work that his legs is going to do and I, I think I saw one of the pictures that uh, the, the club photographer Tony McArdle took and yeah. I think it was it was James Tarkovsky and Dwight McNeil on the first day they're just having whispers in the car park and I thought they're probably, they're probably one of the few there that know what's coming for this uh, the rest of the squad and I'm sure they're taking great delight in telling everybody else about the horror stories of what's about to emerge yeah I mean the first couple of days as we know in Finch Farm tend to be as you've reported Joe those initial medical checks stuff like that going through the, the motions and the, the weights and all the measurements and stuff but yeah as we speak Monday morning the team are just um, flown out um, to their Alpine training camp and of course we've got what well, we know about the infamous Gaffer's Day from from his, his, his time at Burnley became a real fixture at the start of pre-season. Balls get left in the cupboard for the, for the day, and it's all about that physical fitness. And I know we we laugh about it, and that you know, the, the players almost fearing it, looking at it in trepidation. But it's an important thing of the, the, the fitness that he requires from the team, and we'd like to see more of that next season. Um, to having those those levels that he, that he requires. So yeah, we understand that you know, it, it, it's a, it's a grueling day, but it's one that I'm, I'm sure that the players will, will have mixed feelings about. Them. I mean, they, they will see that they they'll hopefully the long term benefits that come from from tri- from like a day like that. 
I think it's quite telling as well, Rick, because I mean, from what we know, Gaffers Day largely has come from players who've been through it, and they large, they typically speak positively, positively about it. Obviously, because they might have gone through the difficulties in pre-season of having to go through those tests, but they've seen the end result after they've seen the togetherness that it's helped to build and the strength that's helped. You know, obviously, in the dice, really, you know, a Burnley side more often than not be competitive against a league in much bigger clubs, so they can kind of see the end product. So I think we'll all agree it's a good thing, Connor. When we had pre-season, when it came back on, on Thursday, one of the first people to arrive there, might be a little bit of a surprise for everyone, was, was, was Deli Alley. Good sign? Good statement of intent, you hope? You'd like to hope so, wouldn't you? But I think there's still a long way to go before we can declare just Deli Alley coming back early. Well, being one of the first to report back for pre-season is a, a real positive and a positive step in how and what happens next in his Everton career. I thought it was quite interesting that Richard Pochettino has obviously been appointed Chelsea manager over the, the weekend that he plans to speak to Delhi and wants to find out what's gone on because obviously under Pochettino with Tottenham, Delhi Ali was a world beater and one of the best midfielders in world football. Since Pochettino's exit spares, his kind of his career's you know derailed and you know he finds himself in the wilderness. I think the big thing for Delhi Ali is it's clear he needs to get fit. He needs to show you know, signs of sharpness, but also Everton needs to make a decision as early as they possibly can on what to do, because obviously we all know that once he gets to 20 appearances, Everton have to give Tottenham 20 million pounds. A club where money is tight, and you know, we all know we can all see that money is tight and it needs to be invested wisely. 20 million to spend on a player who might not be of much use this season, if we're being brutally honest. You know, if, it, if it, things don't work out for him, it's a lot of money. So I think Everton need to really work out what they need to, what they want to do with Dali Ali as early as possible. He obviously has travelled to Switzerland, Switzerland with the squad for pre-season. You know he, sh- he should be using these next kind of two weeks as a way to get fit. But I think you know moving forward they need to make an early call and, and decide what to do with him next because as things stand, you know Everton do have a big decision to make in regards to Dali Ali. You would like to hope that he could force his way into Sean Dyche's thinking, but like I say, where where money is tight and unfortunately, you know, sometimes business matters do real football matters. And I think this is one of them occasions. But it was good to see him back, good to see him, you know, eager to clearly to make an impression. I know Sean Dyche spoke to him before the season finished that, you know, he'd, he'd spoke to Delhi briefly and, you know, he kind of wanted to, you know, restart his career and start again. So hopefully this is the restart that he needs. But yeah, I think the, the business side of the decision around Delhi needs to be making it made as early as possible as possible because we saw last season with Frank Lampard where he's, he's kind of featured in pre-season and there's a lot of talk and then you know he come off the bench against Chelsea and come off the bench against Aston Villa and then the decision was made that he was going to leave I think Everton needs to get in a position where before they you know probably play sport and there's been against good, a good decision before the season starts where a decision's been made on Deli Alley whether you know he's going to be a key part of the squad this season or whether you know he, he needs to look elsewhere but no it was good to see him back and I think well you know He's fuck up there in terms of gaffers day and togetherness. Sean Dice is going to need a fit squad and a real togetherness because you know our lack of transfer activity so far suggests that this is going to be a small group of players for Everton this season. And they're going to need to be together. They're going to need to be you know make a bit of a siege mentality because there's not going to be an array of options by all by the looks of things. Certainly it starts the season. So yeah, Sean Dice needs a fit and firing squad and one that can hit the ground running because Everton's first day fixtures are quite favourable. I think if we could. You know, if we'd have all sat down and picked eight fixtures, but they probably wouldn't be too far what we pick from. So it's a it's a big start because, like you know, it doesn't look like it's going to be an array of options coming in. No, no. Well, I think you make an interesting point. Obviously, with Deli Ali, one thing that Sean Dyche can't do is he can't afford to have that experimentation period with him because mm. of the fees that start to come in, ten million and twenty million pound, depending on how many appearances he's made. I think you make a good point there as well with the idea. Back end of, of the summer last year, obviously Deli Ali went to America. 
a difficult time in yeah. the games in America. But then he came back, went to Bloomfield Road. Me and you were there, obviously scored twice at Blackpool, looked quite good. Frank Lampard spoke quite positively about him at, at the end of that game. And then obviously had a little bit of a role at the start of the season. And, and you got the impression that Lampard was maybe having a little look at seeing mm -hmm. whether he could play a role. I mean, there was obviously at the time, first game of the season, Dominic Calvert-Lewin had just suffered that freak knee injury. Salman Rondon was um, suspended for following that horror tackle. The, 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 the Brentford game at the back end of last season, it still scars my memory, the idea of him coming on with Everton, trailing in a must-win game, two-footing someone in the first two minutes and clapping the fans yeah. as, as, he, as, as he went yeah. off. And I mean, there, there was, a, there was a, a school of thought that might have had him as starting as Everton's almost yeah, yeah. false nine at the beginning of that season. Yeah. In the end, it was Anthony Gordon that did that but I think I think that you're right in the sense that I don't think Dyche will want to have any open and ended questions going into the start of the season whatever his plans are he almost needs to have them in place before sporting or by sporting at the least rather than having any, any indecision mm. then dominating the first few weeks of the season because like we discussed on here all right the fixtures start favourably for Everton if they can get a good start they can help build some momentum into a season that looks like it's going to be a difficult one but with a good set of results a few positive signings which may or may not come in you know it wouldn't be difficult to start fostering a little bit of forward momentum going in through the early stages of the season which might push them over the edge in the latter parts of it obviously we speak about Delhi they we speak about fitness one of the players who's you know will be massively looking upon over the summer is Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Yeah. Worked really hard, Gav, over the summer. He's one of a few players like to Seamus Coleman, like to Nathan Patterson, who, who have been doing a lot of work in and around Finch Farm and elsewhere on their fitness in the close season to give them the best opportunity of having a season isn't plagued by injury. And Everton have got a lot of players mm. who've had seasons plagued by injuries. Dominic Calvary went out to Munich, specialist training um, clinic out there to work in the early parts of closed season. You know, he's flown out with the squad today to the, the, you know, the French-Swiss Swiss border. Good to see him mobile, at least, and I think that's a positive sign as well, isn't it, Gav? Well, yeah, we've seen all this before, haven't we, with Calvert-Lewin, though, isn't it? I mean, the, the acid test with Dominic is when he gets on the football pitch and has got to play football at professional level and, you know, speed of the Premier League and so on and so forth. That's the test for me. So, I mean, it's good to see him back on training, but to me, it doesn't... It, it's good news in that he's probably training, to be fair. But it's when he gets back, Joe, isn't it? He gets back on the pitch and, and, and is playing in a full-intensity Premier League match. That is that is the key for me, is, is, is how does he react to that? And sadly, the one thing we've known over that, it's like two years now, isn't it, Carl yeah. Lewin's injury yeah. issues? He's played less than half the matches the past two seasons. Yeah, yeah, is, is that's the test, isn't it? And whether it's psychological as well going on. Um, but it's good to see him back. Hopefully what he's done in Germany and, you know, something new. And I know Dice said in the past about looking at looking at his problems in a different way, and hopefully that will give him you know something a little bit different. But to me, I think it'd be great news for us if on the opening day of the season he's on the pitch. Mm. I think that's what I say, and then take it from there. That will be a good thing to see because it removes a problem, doesn't it, straight away? Uh, and then just you just got to hope and pray then that he um, he can last the pace. Uh, to us. It's going to be it's going to be a dad as well, isn't he, Carvalho? Yeah, 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 that, that brings pressures. One of the, one of a few players with with nice news, isn't it? I think over recent yeah, weeks, yeah. obviously James Tarkovsky got married as well, didn't he? Yeah, Jordan Pickford's expecting his second That's child. It. Yeah, um, so that I say brings his own pressures, doesn't it? Really? Um, yeah, it, it, if he's if on the pitch opening day. That'd be great against against Fulham, and then just take it from there. Chris, one of the things that I think that Everton certainly can't do this season. They have to learn from the lessons of the past and the reality is that they need to prepare for a, a season and 
as though they almost expect Dominic Calvert-Lewin to be absent for a chunk of it. You, know, you can't have that naivety or ignorance to the issue anymore. Everton have had two lucky escapes, really, I think, from relegation. And when you when you look at the squad, obviously, you know, Switzerland, you're going out to, to Switzerland later in this week. Uh, you, you'll be out there and we'll probably do speak to you whilst you're over there for the next pod back towards the end of the week. Everton have flown out there today. You know, we've seen the squad. It's Fred Bear, isn't it? Let's be yeah. perfectly honest. You know, we, we know the players that lost because of the end of their contracts, like Tom Davis, like Svazmir Begovic, both players that Everton tried to sign on new deals, as yeah. with Isaac Price as well, youngster, uh, and they turned it down. And then you also have the, the likes of Andros Townsend, Yeri Mina, Connor Cody at the end of their contracts. Everton have learned, or they should have learned over the past two years, that you need quality backups, you need depth, you need options because you need to cater for the injuries and almost expect for them to come. One of the things that we had a little look at the back end of, of last week was how many, the minimum number of signings that we thought that Everton needed to yeah. make just to kind of have a competitive squad for this season. When we say competitive, I mean a side that should be able to avoid relegation or at least have a fighting chance of that and hopefully move further up the table depending on, on, on how things go. When you look at the squad at the minute, when you look at that list of players that's gone out there, when you add in the fact that, and we're in the process of finding out why, but like so Holgate isn't in that squad, Mikalenko isn't in that squad either, um, Jean-Philippe Gabamin, probably less of a, a surprise, yeah. his agent's been very vocal about him not seeing a future for his player there, even with, with Holgate, we, we know from the conversations that we've had in the footballing world that Everton are willing to listen to options yeah. for, mm-hmm. for Mason Holgate this summer, though we're not sure if that's precisely the reason why he, why he isn't on, on the flight, but just looking at that squad, and when you think of it, you know, we're talking now on July 10th, first game of the season, August the 12th. You know, that's four weeks. There's a lot of work to be done. Yeah. Where are you at the minute in your in your thought process on the strength of that squad? Are you worried? Are you nervous? Or you accept that this is just a natural part of the preseason? There's always uh, outgoings followed by incomes. We'll come on to more of the outgoings in a little bit and the players that have left at the weekend and what that means. But are the alarm bells ringing for you just yet? It is, it is concerning and... <laughs> It's just not a very enjoyable time for Evertonians and the rest of the footballing world. When has all, it been an enjoyable time? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's not good times. Um, but you know, this time of the year, you know, most football fans are looking forward to the new signings and new faces coming through the door, and it's almost like Everton are having to be reactive rather than proactive in the transfer window. Um, they're seeing other teams being linked to players, players coming in, and uh, Everton. No, nobody's come through the door Sean Dyche has been in the role now five months yet to make a sign in and just, just that hope I mean the few names that have been linked and then we're hearing just speculation at the moment or not so far down the line with that one and yeah you talk about those players who've got moved out Joe and then there are at least five bodies down I mean six of you include Townsend but obviously he didn't play <laughs> last season he was injured for the whole piece although he obviously came back played for the under-21s but at least five players who were in, in and around the first team last season have gone now and just not been replaced and we're talking about something I keep banging the drum about and I'll keep doing it you know the worst equivalent points total in the club's entire history and they're five players down from from that squad that finished last season so yeah you could say well come the end of the window the the signings might be there they ended up making eight signings last summer but 
a lot of those came towards the very end of the transfer window and they weren't up and running by the time the season fin- got got underway, including obviously the all-important striker position. So yeah, it, it is concerning, especially in those key areas with creativity, creativity and goals, the areas that we know they needed the most. There hasn't been anyone in that respect and Ellis Sims has gone out. So whatever you think about Ellis Sims, He's another striker, he's another player in that position, so they are looking very light. That's it, you mentioned the five players, obviously that's before you include the likes of Alice Sims, who's just departed, obviously someone will come on to, um, and Isaac Price, who uh, was on the cusp at various points in the senior team, actually might have had an opportunity to step up, might not have done this summer. Um, so really is Fredbear, even when you look back at, at, at that. I mean, obviously we mentioned Sims there, Connor, we have had a little bit of transfer business over the last few days. Obviously, Ellis Sims has departed for Coventry. A deal that could be worth up to £8 million if everything's met. We've also seen the youngster East Samuel Smith as well move to Chelsea. A deal that could be worth up to around £4 million. They're interesting departures, really, I think, for, for a number of reasons. I don't think Ellis Sims' departure is any real surprise. Mm. I think it was... It was clear that Frank Lampard didn't fancy Sims. You know, I think I think that was obvious last season from the conversations that I was having in and around the club. And I think even when he was brought back from Sunderland over in January, I almost think that was a decision that was based around optics at the time. Everton were in a slump, bad run, bad run of results, struggling to find anyone in the transfer window. It didn't look good for them with the problems that they were having up front to have a young lad scoring as consistently as Sims was, as high a level as he was. Obviously, a Sunderland side that at that point were in the top half of the championship and looking mm. towards the playoffs. So the bring in back was almost like a stopgap while they, they worked towards the signings. Everybody from Denise Barrett-Baxendale to Frank Lampard to Farad Mashiri said were coming, but obviously ultimately didn't come. So obviously he got that goal against Chelsea. Back end of the season, Dominic Calvert-Lewin had further injury issues. It looked like Dyche didn't really trust Sims as, as his go-to man in a side that really didn't have many options going forward. East Ham Smith, not someone that we've seen a lot of, but someone who's fought very, very highly. Obviously joined the Everton Academy in the under-9s, got his twin brother there as well, represented England at, at all the youth levels going forward. Sad to see him go, but probably like Sims, not someone that's going to have an impact on the first team next season, even though Everton are looking at, at left-backs. When, when you try and process those, those sales in, in your head at the minute, are you looking at that and you thinking, canny bit of business because any money coming in is useful for, for a side that doesn't have a big budget at the minute? Or are you looking at and you thinking, you know, this is another example of perhaps the club having to sell its future in order to tr- try and have a chance of protecting its presence? I think it's certainly the latter, isn't it? I think it goes hand in hand with when you look at that squad list today that's come out for the, the I know there's obviously James Garner's missing and Jared Bramford's obviously missing because he'll, he'll return um, and there's obviously a few other names we've mentioned who are missing but you know I counted there there was 14 senior what you'd describe as senior first team players who were, who, were not, who were on the plane going to Switzerland right now that's not many when you think of you know in an era where Premier League clubs can, can name nine substitutions nine substitutes to make five substitutions 14 senior players but maybe three or four to come back in is not enough it's not it's paper thin and like Chris has already said you know this is a squad that struggled massively last year and yet having a full time whistle blowing against Bourne for Goodison Park on that you know Sunday afternoon in May to where we are now the squad is significantly weaker and I wrote you know do the weekend in Royal Blue saying you know the club can simply not afford another shambolic transfer window after January but the signs so far are you know it's going to be one of frustration and, and one why one that'll get fans nervous and I think fans are already nervous you know 
certainly looking at that squad list today didn't fill me with much confidence moving moving into the start of the new season which like we've said is it's only a few weeks away you know once you start playing friendlies the, the, the time soon comes and I think that squad list today and the fact that two youngsters have been sold for you know what could be up to 12 million quid is, is proof that Everton had no option really but to cash in on them two lads because if money is tight and, and funds are not as, you know Sean Dyche alluded to himself didn't have to both he wasn't going to have a war chest like other managers have previously had but I think you know funds on the, the look of it things are funds are tight and Everton need to get every penny they can in now to, to protect you know their Premier League future because this is the big thing isn't it I mean you know Ella Sims and Ishii Samuel Smith could become good players in years to come but they're probably not going to have a massive impact on Everton next season and right now as things stand Everton needs to do all he can to protect the Premier League status next season and get them get themselves in a position where at the worst possible scenario they finish 17th again which people won't want to hear that fans won't want to be fair that but that's what they need to do right now because they can't afford to drop into the championship you know they can't afford to go into the second tier we've spoke at length why not but for me I think they were just two inevitable signs I think if the, the fees have been offered it's not surprising and I think with Sims as well I always got the feeling that once Everton recalled him in January but it become clear that he wasn't really in the thinking and going to be a first team option that was probably the end of El Sims Everton because I don't think as a young player he'd probably forgive Everton because he was in such a rich vein of form at Sunderland he was scoring goals and it's interesting well you know I was talking to someone who a quite a high profile figure at Sunderland the other week and, and they were under the illusion that perhaps Ellison was going to go back to Sunderland in January in January. They were under the impression that he was basically going in to start the window as cover because Everton but well, basically Everton worked on bringing someone in or at least one person in, possibly two. And then towards the end of the window he'd be allowed to go back to Sunderland on loan because, you know, Everton has the have the players in who they want. Obviously that didn't transpire, but Sims didn't really get a look in. And I always felt like he was throwing the real deep end, wasn't it? You know, you think at the start he made Anfield, Old Trafford. You know, they were they were games where Everton were not hard to nothing essentially and he was never really, I don't think, in the thinker so six million quid up to eight million quid is probably a good deal into the last year's contract as well. And Ishmael Samuel Smith is it's two million or four million pound that could be better saved. So I think it's disappointing because I think it's never nice to see kids leave, especially when there's still questions over whether they can blossom into you know, real talents, and I said this would be on the pod. I would have liked to Everton to put some kind of clause in a Coventry where they got first refusal to bring Sims back, if if that option ever arose. You know, if he did go and get into a rich vein of form, become a the next kind of what much sought after Championship centre forward. But yeah, it's never nice. But when you look at that squad list, there's 14 senior players there, and kids are propping the rest of the the, the, the places up. It's worrying, and because it's worrying, is why you have to cash in and try and start getting plays in for the first team now it's part of the danger with Sims though isn't it we, we saw this to a and it feels strange to to speak of him in this light but almost a problem with Salomon Rondon mm. you know obviously Everton managed to manufacture an agreement with him which saw him leave the club yeah. before January last season and if we're honest or if I'm honest I thought that was a good bit of business yeah. clearing the decks for well, what I, was to come I, I, I wrote in print <laughs> on a line that Everton made a great transfer decision because it was clear that they were going to bring at least two forwards in, in January <laughs> yeah. and they were clearing the desk nice and early to get, to get, to get people in and get wages off the wage bill and when and you yet- look at when you look at how things transpired <laughs> yeah. as as underwhelming as Rondon was given the way that Dice has set his teams up at Burnley in the past and given the lack of options he mm. had 
may well have had a role to play in the final well, weeks. Well, he probably blossomed a lot more than Sims <laughs> and, and Warpe would have in that, I in think that style Sims, of play. I think mean. there was a, a sliding doors moment was probably at Old Trafford. He had the start there mm. and he obviously he'd scored the goal before the international break at Chelsea. Big moment for him. Obviously, everybody absolutely delighted for him and he'll always, always have that and he'll always have the goodwill of Everton fans. But... Everton at nil nil at Old Trafford in that game, which was very much the game that started the the slump that under Deitch that kind of led mm. to thinking Everton might, you know, might end up in trouble again. Obviously, he dragged that chance wide at nil nil, and it was a good opportunity for someone who's made his name for being a clinical finisher from those type of opportunities, and that probably sealed the the deal for him. Um, Gav. When you look at those two sales and then you look at what happened in January, obviously Anthony Gordon went for a deal with around £45 million. Nathan Broadhead you know, got into the million for him to, to Ipswich. Sebastian Quirk, Joe Anderson also left. You look at around... It's about... If, if all the clauses and everything's met, in the last, what, seven calendar months, Everton have brought probably you know, around £60, 60 million, million pounds yeah. into, yeah, the, into the club yeah. through their academy. Now... When Kevin Farwell was appointed off the back of a strategic review, a much vaunted strategic review from the club back in February of, of last year, one of the things that he wanted to do or was, was tasked with doing was making the academy more efficient, both at getting players a pathway into the first team and where that pathway perhaps wasn't open to them, perhaps they weren't deemed strong enough to make that transition and that step up to start getting fees for them. Yeah. In a way that you know those across the park have managed to do, mm. how many times have we bought the, the fees that Liverpool have managed to get for young players that have made very little senior impact? But it still doesn't really feel like a positive, this, does it? You can't win, can you, really? No. On, on, you know, and I get what supporters say, but on the one hand, supporters say, and, you know, we say, well, you know, we should have a better academy, so players like Liverpool do and stuff like that. Though the progression at Liverpool is slightly, enormously different to the one at Everton. And then when you do sell players to the academy, it says, oh, we're selling away our future. Well, mm. I mean, the one thing history shows it is we're not, because very few players who come through an academy at any club become you know become established Premier League players it's not it's not just at Everton so I don't get this this is our future we're selling like the family silver that's not the case history would tell us otherwise and Sims is not really somebody I would say who is an academy player is he somebody who's been through the academy system he comes late he's, as well to yeah, he's 21 15, 16, 21 22 yeah. and at that age he's not going to develop any further and that's just a good bit of business and the, the, other, the other lad Smith is, is slightly different um, he's at the sort of probably the start of the process, isn't he? But you know, goes back to the Dali Ali thing. The one thing at the moment at the club is every decision is finance based, isn't it? Mm. We want we don't want to make a a financial decision that's adverse to Everton. So therefore, we'll sell. We want a positive benefit, don't we? That's why. That's one of the reasons why Smith's being sold. So I don't. I don't really get the. You know, we're selling away our future because history will tell us, as I say, will tell us otherwise. And as I say, I think you touched on it on Saturday. This is the type of business you should have been doing over the last five or ten years. P- players are just allowed to drift through the academy system, yeah. go on a free. When if you go back to my, you know, hackneyed old phrase, the best time to sell a player is 12 months before it's too late, is there's probably loads of players you've seen who've gone at Everton from the academy over the years on a free at some point we could have got something for them yeah. a half million pound here half million pound there or whatever and he's just been like ends up with like Matthew Pennington who's still playing he's about 35 the academy wasn't or something don't speak ill of Pennington yeah, yeah I know because I know there's correction <laughs> but that, no, I'm t- I'm, I'm, it's not the player though it's the no, system yeah. isn't it and, and I think that thing you said there didn't you Joe efficient 
mm. about the academy being efficient and I think that's the one thing I think that has been missing over the last five or ten years for a number of reasons possibly because they pride winning games rather than developing players and I think um, the, the type of stuff we've seen in the last month and, post- and should do in the future is us making the most, most of academy players as you say who possibly won't make it into the first team but sell them at the right time so the club benefits and they benefit and I don't have a problem with it no. uh, to be honest with you and, and if you can get 60 million for that's you know, how much the club sees that sixty million? I think we know the answer to that. Certainly, the Gordon money, but I've not, I've not got a problem with it really. To you be you fair. make a good point. There's, there's definitely a, a business merit in in all of those. There's a business yeah. merit and a footballer merit in Absolutely. all of those. In all of those decisions, isn't there? And, and and I suppose the issue again, like you you rightly point out, is the system. It's not the fact that Everton have, have, have sold these players. It's at these points in their careers or have been open to offers for them. It's the fact that the sixty million pounds that's come in hasn't necessarily been sixty million pounds that can go straight out on strengthening the first team squad. Yeah. That's that's the problem, isn't it? Yeah, it's the players who are the twelve months at the end of the contract. That that's it. It's like Warrington, isn't it, Lewis Warrington? I think it, you know. And you're looking and thinking, everybody says it was a really great prospect, but he's 20. I mean, Jared Brantwaite's been playing for England. He's only four months. He's four months older than Warrington, isn't he? Mm. He's been playing. He's been playing for England, and I think, you know, like using Warrington as an example. Well, he's playing for Fleetwood. You know, with all due respect, you expect somebody who can make make it to the first team. You know, I always think that if you're around England age groups, you know, like Gordon played for England, didn't he? If you're in and around that at a young age, and you think they've got Premier League potential. But if you're playing, and, and history shows it with all the play, a lot of players we've seen, players who are playing League One, League Two football at 20, you're thinking, are they got a chance of making it in the, the first team? I'd say probably not. So therefore, you should look to s- sell them, um, and that's the one thing we've that's the one thing we've not done. And um, I think, and there's a there's a wider piece here, isn't it? Really around academy football, which is really a separate podcast, isn't it? Is why doesn't it work for anybody? Mm. I mean, Brentford don't have an academy team, do they? No, I think um, you know. And there's a wider piece on there. And uh, if you're not going to develop players for the first team because they're not good enough, and that's most of them, let's face it, is sell them at the right time so you benefit. And I think we've not done the latter. It's definitely fair to say that the system's changed quite considerably. It now favours the likes of the Bayamoffs, the likes of Man City and Chelsea, Absolutely. who can hoover up young talent at, you know, at 14, 15. And no one, obviously, Samuel Smith's a little bit older, but no one can really stop them. And gone are the days, really, where you know you had the likes of, say, Joe Hart, who came up at Shrewsbury Town, who's had a couple of seasons in the first team before progressing on to Manchester City and and and, and people people like that. You know, because it, it's it's it's. It's not just affecting teams in the Premier League like Everton. It goes yeah. all the way down the pyramid, and it's a, it's a massive distorting effect on the football league in general. Yeah, well, the, the classic examples played for Manchester already. Ali Ali was it? Was MK it Dons. Yeah, MK Dons, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, City took what was the fullback they took? Was it Lawrence? Was it? it was the, they took off Everton's academy, wasn't it? A couple of years ago, and it's and that, that's what they, they do. They don't develop players in house they just get the best players in other academies and we ever are vulnerable because of the geography of yeah. the northwest that's, bad, isn't it? That, that's where that's where that's where we're vulnerable and um, yeah it's a wider piece on the academy system why it doesn't work but again that means like for me i've not got a problem with sell players mm-hmm. from it really um for the and it benefits us at the moment doesn't it we, we mentioned the, the academy and obviously 
England's youth team had significant success uh, on, on over the weekend winning the European Under-21 Championships. Now, Everton had two players, and they're not products of the academy. Obviously, James Garner, you know, a lad from Birkenhead, but he came through at Man United. Um, you know, obviously, Jared Branthwaite came through at Carlisle, and they signed him, pretty much went into, in and around the first-team squad initially. But obviously, one player that did come through the academy had a significant impact on the tournament, Chris, was, was Anthony Gordon. And... Um, <laughs> You know, name player of the yeah. tournament. Uh, obviously, you know, we know about his his, his talent and his potential. Yeah. Can I just ask what your thoughts on on Gordon and his success at that level are? I mean, obviously, really, it's something that Evan should take a degree of pride in, be able to produce a player that's gone on to shine at such a prestigious level. And I think, you know, tweeted this over the weekend. I think the city of Liverpool can take a degree of pride because you've got Curtis Jones. And you've got Anthony Gordon, you've got a lad that's grown up in Toxteth, who's man of the match in the semi-final and the final. You've got a lad that's grown up in Kirkdale, who's a player of the tournament. That's fantastic. But I mean, from an Everton, obviously you're an Everton writer, but you're also an Everton fan. Mm-hmm. And obviously we know the circumstances in which Anthony Gordon left. And I do think that we, we largely have heard from one side of the story there. If we, if we cast our minds back to January, obviously it was unpalatable the way in which Gordon left. We know he mm-hmm. handed a transfer request. We know he didn't turn up for training. But also, I think if you if you properly look back to where we were around that stage, Everton was clearly a mess. And I think it'd be naive of us to think that, bearing in mind everything that we could see that showed that Everton was a mess, I'm sure it was behind the scenes when players were talking mm-hmm. and things like that as well. But I mean, do you, you know, as an Everton, speaking as an Everton fan, do you take any pride in, in Anthony Gordon's success there, or are you more of the opinion that, you know, he left the club, he left the club under the cloud, you know, I, I don't want to think about that. Um, I don't think Evertonian's taken much much pride from 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 Anthony Gordon getting um, played a tournament. I mean, we talk about that, that tweet from the club where obviously Lee Carsley was mentioned, uh, the, the manager, former Everton player, huge uh, fan favourite, and obviously uh, James Garner. And That's it, uh, just for people who haven't seen Everton, tweeted congratulations yeah. to their player, to obviously Branthwaite and yeah. Garner and Lee Carsley, ex-player, yeah. but you know, omitting Anthony Gordon, the lad who'd come through their youth yeah. system and you know, earned the club the best part of forty-five million pound. Yeah, I think in time these things can maybe change and we saw obviously the way Rooney was in those initial years after his transfer from Everton and then that obviously came full circle with him coming back and even Ross Barkley uh, wishing them well on the f- ahead of the final uh, game of the season. Uh, it's not a yeah, quite acrimonious... Um, and an exit, X-rated well. reaction yeah. to when he stays up. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. Um, but I think we, we've seen... It's still very raw with Anthony Gordon. You mentioned the fact that I'm not turning up for training that last week, and obviously it goes two ways. Obviously the unsavoury scenes with the, the, the fans toward, towards him uh, as well. But um, yeah, there's been a very, a very sort of cool reaction even from within the club itself. We mentioned that tweet. And I think uh, you even saw Connor when Newcastle mm-hmm. were back at the club. Uh, certain um, club staff not exactly rushing to embrace Anthony uh, in, in the tunnel area. I think that tells you if they, if they, all you need to know if the club themselves are even like that. I can't expect those on the Gladys Street to be uh, applauding uh, Anthony Gordon's um, success. So that's the thing. Um, he's always done very well at England at youth level, under 21 level. And there's obviously there's something there as a player which has attracted Newcastle United to come in. And Chelsea were, were obviously interested in him as well. And um, Tottenham Hotspur. But there seems to be a discrepancy perhaps where Anthony Gordon is as a player in Anthony Gordon's head even with the success in this tournament and necessarily what he's actually produced in the Premier League on a regular basis, did very well in a very struggling Everton team the season before last and um, sort of emerged. That was his breakthrough 
season but I think he needs to do a lot more sort of justify that um, that, that price tag that Newcastle United have played have, have paid for him um, I, I'd be more interested in this moment we'll see where the Anthony Gordon money is to be honest that's, that's a big thing for me that's a pretty good idea yeah. where it is yeah, I well, think I, it's I, probably about two miles down the yeah, road isn't yeah, it yeah I think, I think yeah. that money I think yeah. most I think the January business went into the club as, I don't, I don't, they're not sitting on the transfer kitty of money that they yeah. didn't spend in January yeah. to spend in the summer they just, just, just put it that way um, you know, it's it's interesting, obviously, what what you say about Gordon there. You know, I I think there's a good player in there. I think he's I think he'll end up being a good signing for Newcastle. I think context is important, obviously. You know, and you you can look at this from a sort of wider perspective of discussion we've had about the academy system. Anyway, one of the great shames of, of the struggles that Everton have had in the Premier League over the last few seasons is it's not been a, it's not been an environment that has been conducive to help and support young players burst onto the scene, really, because he, over the last two years in particular, every single game. Every single minute of every single game has been played under such immense pressure. You can't blood youngsters. You, know, you mentioned Lewis Warren. So he went to Fleetwood yeah. in League One last season. Lampard did keep him until the final day of the transfer window, thinking he might have a role to play. And then obviously he got shot once. He managed to you know, get confirmation that Garner and Drissa Guy were coming in. Now, obviously say that about Anthony Gordon. I don't think anybody would dispute that it was good business forever at the time. Okay. Again, like yeah, yeah, you referred to, Gav. I mean, obviously there is an element of selling your future there. But I think the amount of money that Everton got for him at the time, at the situation the club was in, yeah, you know, that 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 was a significant fee. You'll have to do a lot to justify that fee, even going forward, despite its success with with, with England. Going to move on to another kind of young younger player again. You know, he's, he's a player that's had success with with what was the under twenty threes, but obviously came to Everton later, and that's that Shao Virginia um, Connor. Obviously, we heard over the weekend that he'd extended his contract at, at, at Everton. He's not someone that we've seen a lot of over the last few years been on loan at Sport in Lisbon had a bit part role there but did did get senior experience in the Champions League played for them at, at Ajax went on loan to, to Canberra in the Netherlands last season had a reasonable start to season was their first choice goalkeeper for 17 games got a few Eredivisie man of the matches and team of the weeks things like that but fell out of favour when there was a managerial change and didn't you know he lost his place in the squad and it was a squad that ultimately got relegated We've spoken already here about more in, in the light of, of Dominic Calvert-Lewin, but what Dominic Calvert-Lewin should teach Everton is the fact that they can't get away with a lack of depth in important positions. Mm. Now, Everton have got one of the best keepers, you know, arguably in the world, in, in, in Jordan Pickford. He is one of the best keepers in the Premier League. I'm not saying he's the best, but he's certainly one of them. However talented Jal Virginia might be, there's clearly a significant drop-off between having the England number one and then Jao Virginia, 23 years old, fleet and experience at senior level, free appearances for Everton. And Andy Lonergan, who's also just signed a new contract, 39 years old, never actually made a senior a competitive appearance for, for Everton. I was there in, in, in Sydney over in November when he came on against Western Sydney Wanderers yeah. for, for a moment, I think, filled everybody in the, around, around the club with a bit of joy because he's yeah. such a popular and valued yeah. character there to at least see him get some minutes. When when you look at that goalkeeping department now, Asmir Debegovic was probably as good a number two goalkeeper as everyone could hope to have him. He was an able deputy. We saw him keep a clean sheet in the first win of the season against West Ham. We saw him keep a clean sheet in the major, you know, the really important win against Newcastle the season before. In between that, there was the drubbing at Arsenal, but it was very much after the Lord Mayor's party having survived against Crystal Palace a couple of days earlier. When you look at that goalkeeping unit, as much as obviously we, we you know, wish the best and hope the best and, and respect the talents of Virginia and respect the talents of Andy Lonergan, 
Is that an area that is a problem for you going into this new season, Connor? Is that an area where you would think that Everton probably need to, even though they probably don't have very much money to spend, and even though there's a lot of other business that probably takes priority, how important do you think it is that they consider getting perhaps a more experienced deputy for Jordan Pickford who could perhaps fill a role and maybe help continue Virginia's development and be another role model and inspiration for him there perhaps for the longer term or do you think that is perhaps one of the areas maybe like at right back where obviously we know Bournemouth haven't couldn't feel the starting fullback you know one of the most important games in the mm. Cup's history and they couldn't do that but obviously James Garner did a good job there he's impressed there for the England under 21s he said he's happy to play there as a third choice for Patterson and Coleman I can see a scenario where Everton no longer look at that and go Oh, maybe we need to get a right back into strength from the squad as well or maybe we don't even need a full back that can cover both options we'll come on to Ashley Young later obviously he could do that and maybe focus their target specifically on a left back to fill the squad but with the goalkeeping unit do you have any concerns with where that is right now do you think Sean Dyche should? Yes I do because I think in losing Begovic it's a massive blow probably one big blow of what people would think because like you say, there he was such an able deputy, and he's got Premier League experience, and you know he was clearly a, a likable character around the club. But ultimately, everything have to gamble in certain areas of the pitch this summer. Um, they've got no, they've got no option because they don't have a, a war chest to to go and fill every area of the pitch that they need. They need filling, um, and I think maybe goalkeeper is one area that they might just gamble on. I think, you know, unfortunately we've got no option but to just go with Virginia as backup to to pick for because ultimately funds are tight there's areas of the pitch that desperately need improving like you know I don't know how many times we've spoke about this over the last two years but they, they've got to bring in at least a centre forward if not two centre forwards they can't go into the new season relying on Dominic Calvert-Lewin again um, because that nearly had a disastrous effect last season and if they do it again this season there's an argument to be that they deserve everything that's going to come their way yeah. so that's two players they need to potentially Ash Young will come in so he could fill the left back void of, of cover for Mikalenko you know they probably need a, maybe another midfielder stroke winger if Damari Gray was to, is, is, to, is to leave obviously he's been heavily linked but moves away so I don't know whether Everton are now looking at this thinking we've got to gamble on certain areas of the pitch and unfortunately goalkeeping is going to be one department that we're going to gamble on and go with Virginia because ultimately we need to spend the money elsewhere I think there's an element of this though where the new contract is also to protect them in the sense of maybe you know in a year's time they might get two million two million pounds for Virginia to sell them which again you know going back to what Gav said earlier it's two million pounds more than probably was it got three or four years ago when he probably just got to the end of his contract and left and we'd got nothing in return for the, the investment put in at least we would be recouping something back and I think with, with what we said there about academy and, and transfers and stuff I think there's an element here of Kevin Felmo's almost the right football director at the wrong time in the sense of and I'm putting the heart out on here because I know there's a lot of people out there who have still got fairy views on Kevin Felwell and how good he is at his job and stuff like that but I think evidence shows that he understands what his needs at the club he's just not been in a position at first team level what other directors of football have you certainly think of Steve Walsh where they've had an open checkbook to go in and improve the squad and I think if he's been in that position I don't think we'd have wasted anywhere near the millions that we, we have done because although there's obviously blaring and has been made and, and struggles at first team level I think some of the work he's done has been absolutely superb and I think you know we certainly rectified the issue now of cashing on academy talent when you need to cash in and, and putting a club in a position where they can recoup money I think you look at the Wolves deal that he, he negotiated but I know we never Everton didn't, take the end, didn't end up taking the option to sign Conor Cody but Everton had Conor Cody for 4.5 million 
Leicester are paying up to eight point five for him in in the Championship. So again, there was you know he he, he broke with a good deal there. So I think in terms of now with Virginia, the new contract is probably the double whammy of they maybe see him as a an okay backup to pick for different needs and also the fact that given he got length time on his contract left, they will get something for him if they need it to you know if they wait to. I think the the one who I think Everton supports expected them to make a move was Tom Heaton, wasn't it? I think you know given his close relationship with Sean Dice from the time of Burnley and obviously the fact he was third choice at Man United but he's obviously just extended his contract and given now you know Dean Henderson's still coming back from injury and David De Gea's officially left tonight he's the only senior goalkeeper there so you suspect that's what avenue that's closed but I just think Everton in a position now where they've got to gamble on saying he's the pitching and goalkeeping is probably one of them um, it's not great because I don't think you know if, if Pickford was to get an injury before the start of the season or in the opening weeks of the season I think we'd all be a little bit nervous about Virginia coming in but I think you know like I say money's clearly tight there's so many areas of the pitch that needs improving and and you know Everton have got a gamble and maybe maybe it's a gamble you think it's for worth taking for all that we've said about Everton not being an environment that's been conducive to blood in youngsters feels like Everton are going to go into this season with somebody having to someone having an opportunity or mm. perhaps a a higher level of responsibility on them than perhaps is right for this stage of their career. Which question? Which will be interesting, George. But yeah. Which will be interesting, I think, because I think there'll be a lot of them youngsters who are in and around the club who will basically be saying, "I want to go out on loan and get first team experience." Mm. That's it. It's it, almost it, trying to work out where it's going to be. Is it going to be Jao Virginia get a bit of get, yeah. get a bit of a chance? Is it going to be someone like Jared Brownway? Obviously, he's probably the closest to the yeah. genuine first team of, of, of those players. He should players. be starting if you ask me. Is it going to be Lewis? You know, Lewis Warrington? Could he yeah. be the guy that fills in for you know, the fringe player role that Tom Davis had, or is it going to be someone like Tom Cannon, who obviously haven't a shorn of strikers anyway, and you know he's shown that he can do it at Championship level. There's a lot of interest in Championship taking him back but you know he's he's, a, he's an option for Deitch hopefully he'll impress him o- o- over the summer kind of just want to j- just cover a little bit of s- the ground that we already have covered and just ask you this Gav an interesting one obviously we've spoken about the need to be sensible financially and need to make the most of the opportunities that come their way um, for, for Everton if and you also mentioned about obviously players entering the last year of contract well this player's not quite because op- the club have an opportunity to extend it a further year in the summer but one of the players has attracted a fair bit of interest and because of that option to extend could attract yeah. a fair bit of money would be Damari Gray obviously he's out there with, with Jamaica in the Gold Cup at the moment just qualified for the semi-finals so they're on Thursday so he isn't going to be with, um, with Everton this week certainly just putting this to you if a club was to come in for, with an offer for Damari Gray right now, say you know, 15, 15 million pounds or so, would you look to cash in on that because of the wider strengthening that Everton could perhaps do with that money? And it, the fact that it could be a catalyst with some of the other fees that they've earned in the last few yeah. days to perhaps help Dice fill in a few gaps anywhere. Obviously, Damari Gray wasn't a starter for, for Everton under yeah. Dyche, albeit he was very much on the cusp of the first team. Or would Damari Gray be the deal at the minute that you would urge Everton to caution on because all of a sudden there's a real danger if you start almost allowing too many players to leave before replacements are coming? Would he be a risk too far in the same way that you could argue Gordon felt like it was back in January when no attackers did come in? Or would you say, just take the money? <laughs> it's like on a game show I'll take the money yeah. I mean I th- I've, I've thought about the Tamari Gray thing a bit um, as you say like close season gives you a little more headspace but it's not what 
he's worth to another club. It's what he's worth to Evan is the point here, mm. isn't it? And you, you touched on it there, Joe. It's like he was a fringe player last year. You would hope with new signings that actually on that basis he's going to be a fringe player this season. And he's, he's got one year left on his contract. No, there's an option, but he's got one year. So he could conceivably go, go free if he chooses to next year. Yeah. So he's got one year left. History shows last season, Dice doesn't really fancy him because he doesn't work hard enough and he actually is quite effective playing up front, but we hope that will be removed, that option. So he's going to be mostly, you would think. And if, and it's probably a good sign. If he's on the bench next season, it probably means we're doing quite well, doesn't it, really? So you buy, you're going to have a player on the bench for you next season. Well, now that's, what would you pay for Evan for that? You'd probably pay five or six million quid. That's what it'd be worth to you, wouldn't you, really? Um, so I, not fifty, you know. But I've heard some super. I've heard some super fees. Nobody's going to pay fifteen million on that basis. And I, I think anything above six or seven million quid for Demare, I'd take because it's going to cost us more just to keep him on the bench for for, for the season. So I, I think the fee I would accept for him will probably be a lot lower than what what um, people are saying. Purely because what I don't want is miss an opportunity of selling them for seven or eight million quid this summer, then see him on the bench for all season, possibly get a game here and there, and then go on a free at the end of, at the end of the campaign. And I'd, I'd accept a fee a lot less than some of the some of the well, numbers I guess he, being, even, uh, being quoted. Even if he was to, even if Evan were to try and play the game of extending his contract by a year. But decided he was surplus to requirements next summer because he didn't have much of an impact this season. All that would do is drive the price down they could get for him as well, I suppose. Yeah. Whereas at the minute he's in a, you know, he had an all right season, showed moments of magic doing all right. But, in, but, but in, his, his view could be, my this would be he'd be entering his last big contract, mm. wouldn't he? Yeah. It's actually it's better for me to see how my contract because that gives me a better negotiating tool for wages yeah. when when they finish at Everton. So I, I would be it'd be foolish for him, for me personally, for him to extend by a year because it removes some of his bargain and chips if he chose to move club bar with like conceivably two years left so I would accept a far lower fee than what people are quoting purely because what we want to do is remove the risk of him being on the bench next season maybe could have got seven or eight million for him you would think if Everton could manufacture a scenario where for instance they ended up saying getting 10, 12 million 15 million for Damari Gray and managed to get someone like Arno Danjuma on an Avanti West Coast train last week with his agent yeah. on loan in the same way that he almost did in, in, in January, you'd say that's, that's, that'd, that's be pretty, that'd be pretty good business. And, and another another player that's been linked to Everton and you know Everton have been discussing him in, internally is Ashley Young as available on a free. Chris, if he was to come through the door, obviously just turned 38 years old, yeah. some fans would have reservations over him for that, but... What would your thoughts be, Ashley Young at yeah, Everton? Yeah, we've been discussing this before we went on, and I think there seems to be a general consensus that in isolation, Ashley Young is actually a potentially very canny piece of business. But I guess it's coming at this particular point where, as we say, Sean Dyche still hasn't made his first signing. The piece over the weekend about different Everton managers and their first signings and what that meant and all stuff like that. It's not a great look as, as your first signing of this is the way we go forward. But uh, if you take it in isolation, it could actually be a, a very canny move in that he can play in a, more than one position. They're both flanks there. Although we've spoken about James Garner perhaps removing that right-back need. Um, but yeah, um, he certainly would have been one... Actually, not so young. He would be one of the the oldest outfield players Everton have ever had. But he's kept himself fit. I believe he played over 30 games in all competitions for Villa 
last season. So, isn't that maybe maybe it'd be a decent one for for a, for a one-year deal? Um, as we we know, former teammate of Sean Dyches as well at back at Watford uh, two decades ago, a teenage Ashley Young was playing alongside Sean Dyches centre half. So he's a player the manager knows. So yeah, I think we sort of torn between. Yes, in isolation, a potentially very good piece of business, but it, it just doesn't strike as a great look. And that first one through the door is, is a 38-year-old um, um, player. But yeah, um, um, it's, a, it's an intriguing one, isn't it? <laughs> it's all it's all timing, isn't it? And Everton, we always say Everton are not very good at timing things. But I think if Everton would have sold Ellis Sims and took Victor Gorkes from Coventry in some swap deal or whatever, and then gone and got Ashley Young the reaction would be a lot different to where it has been because people would go oh well I've moved out you know experienced dad probably fills the gap that kind of code he's left to be that bit of dad of the group you know moral pro you know great attitudes just one of the young players should look up to I know you wrote you know you know a piece in your own Sunday where you know Gerard Steam Gerard obviously a bit of a nemesis for the for the Everton side of things but spoke really glowingly of how he's you know really great professional what he can bring and I think people will look at it and think oh it's a good bit of business that you know makes sense it's the fact that the club have done very little so far and and, and everything's yeah. kind of being treated as speculation there's no real names being floated about there that everyone's just a little bit kind of looking at that going oh is this the best that we can really hope for this summer? Yeah. I, I, it's I'm just going to jump in there. Obviously, Sean Dyche isn't an optics man, so I don't think he'll be too too fast. He'll do oh, he won't care what anyone thinks, will he? He won't <laughs> care. But but it's perhaps a, a pertinent point to, to finish on. Everything suggests so far that this is going to be you know, operating on a, a, mm. on a budget this season at best. It's clear from the lack of activity that's already taken place in terms of incoming and the sales that, are, that have left that they're having to be shrewd in the market they, they, they can't afford to be proactive it, it really does and I think a lot of fans have probably reached this conclusion through you know, their, their own thoughts now through obviously what we've been writing and saying and what other outlets have been doing and from what people can genuinely see as, as what's going on in the club if this really is a case now of just battening down the hatches and just having one season where you suck it up, just accept, you know, it's about survival. That's it. You know, next summer, a whole fleet of players are out of mm. contract. There's a real opportunity to kind of clear the decks and some of the more onerous contracts that are committed to the likes of Gomez, Gabamin, Delhi. You know, if they don't go this this summer, and then again, the likes of Gray and Awobi and a few others, there there are options to kind of yeah. do thing, things around. Obviously, they'd be on the cusp of moving to the new stadium, and they'd be in a far better position in terms of you know, the the profit and sustainability things. With some of the years that drop off the accountancy years, you know. It feels, and, and also, you know, we imagine it should be done this summer, but I imagine it will be in a different place in terms of investment and, yeah. and, and, and the board. If this is what it increasingly looks like to be, and it's going to be a season where Everton just have to just basically just, just dig in, take it, accept it's going to be hard, accept that you know, it's going to be, it might have to be James Garner promising centre midfielder playing it right back every now and then it might be that Joe Virginia who's only played three games is your back up to the England number one it might be that a 38 year old game comes in a free and it has to be cover for left back right back yeah. left midfield and right midfield and, and things like that he'd do a job by the way and he would do a job yeah no, no I, I think he'd be a good sign yeah. and I do um, in Everton certainly in Everton as Chris you know certainly in Everton circumstances but ask all three of you this if this is the case and if this is what Everton fans have to be prepared for over the coming 12 months, 
do you think that that is something that the club should be proactive in communicating to the fans? Do you think I'll start? I, I feel like I feel like a foreign you the grade eight every single time with this guy. So I'm going to ask the guard question. So, so I'm going to start, yeah, 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 start yeah. with Chris because he's the most formally dressed here. Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm going to to pick on him. Um, he does look like a hitman, by the way. With well, his yeah, shirt, like, so be right, careful. He's yeah. Finishing down the pit. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. So. If if that is what is going to yeah. be in store for Everton over the coming season, Chris, do you think the club should be proactive in communicating? Do you think it would build a little bit of, of goodwill or a little bit of a bridge towards the board? So they just held their hands up and say, look, it's going to be difficult. We accept that. Please just stick with us. Brighter future lies on the horizon. We've just got to get through this next period. It's a difficult one to say how they would actually co- communicate that. And, that, and that, um, <laughs> you, you, um, Obviously, whether you've... If you're in a position where you had lots of money, you wouldn't say, by the way, we've got 50 million to spend. By the way, we've got 80 million to spend or whatever. So it is um, difficult. I mean, there's ways they can do it more discreetly, subtly through ourselves, of course. But yeah, they need to know. Which um, they haven't done so far. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it, it, it is it's very cons- concerning. I mean, the piece I did over the weekend, Royal um, Blue Column, um, it's it's... It's the best sort of um, naive, at worst, absolutely negligent to think that they can just sort of cut corners and make do amend. And just because they've got a manager who has worked wonders on a shoestring budget in the past at Burnley, that that's going to be enough. I mean, I was fortunate enough to be going around the the old showroom at the Royal Liver Buildings last week, where Everton are taking prospective clients, the sort of people who would be they're not calling it corporate hospitality at the new stadium that's a big thing and you read the piece you can understand why but for our intents and purposes you know the corporate and um, hospitality at the new stadium which is increasing from about 1300 people at Goodison Park so that's about three percent of the grounds capacity to over five about five and a half thousand at the new stadium so over ten percent of the club's capacity it's absolutely imperative that they are in the Premier League for this when they make that move whenever that might be whether it's tr- sometime in 24-25 or as I said the new music is pointing towards the start of 25-26 now they've got to be in the Premier League to do that and you're taking a big risk if you think we can just get by on the absolute bare minimum we've had that for the last couple of seasons now and just going in just thinking oh we've got a canny manager now we'll be alright with him it's a very dangerous game and I, if ever there was a time that Farhad Mashiri if he's, if he's in any sort of position to do so you know, that self-proclaimed profligacy in the past, which he's admitted where they've not always spent large amounts of money wisely. If ever there's a time to invest in the Everton squad, it will be now. I think, though, what you say there, though, Joe, is right. I think they need to communicate in some way what the actual lay of the land is and how things look, because I think they need to create a siege mentality where it was against, it was against the world, Goodison's a fortress... Everyone knows what to expect going into the start of the season and it's just about battling, rolling sleeves up, working hard and getting over the line. And, and you know, there is a bit of a rainbow here and that is Bramley Moore and going there. And Chris is right, they do need to be in the Premier League when they go there because if they're not, you, you dread to think what position... It comes with a financial in. white elephant, yeah. doesn't it? Be, you know, a the, millstone the, it, it's not worth thinking about them not being in the Premier League when yeah. they get there. No. But I think this for this season... It does need to be a real kind of siege mentality. When, when you say communicate, are they just telling fans something they already know? 
and all that. Well, being honest, clean, always, like, be honest, be honest. Yeah, I think, I think, I think, I think, that, that, I think yeah, what okay. probably be more. I mean, there is a degree to which yeah. be town fans. What, what? It'd be telling the fans what they think they already, and that's what we think we already yeah. know because yeah. we can see it. But I do think that you know, and we've covered this a lot in podcasts and in writings of the, the past six months. The you know, a degree. Bearing in mind the the relationship between parts of the club and parts of the fan base, and the way that has deteriorated so dramatically over recent months. It, it, there is an argument to surely say that you know if if this is the case, perhaps a degree of honesty or or yeah. openness going into the season might help. You know, it might help mobilise the troops a little bit more effectively if you say, "Look, we're in this battle, but we're telling you we're being honest. Join us in it, and we'll yeah. get through it together." Than it would be saying, "Everything's all right. What you're talking about." Yeah. Oh, by the way, you know it's 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 actually young and Andy yeah, Lonergan yeah, starting yeah, on the first end yeah. season. Yeah. With all respect to them, and yeah. Chris with his goal scorer record, he sounds if he should be uh, <laughs> getting the game. I think the opportunity for that is when, not if. You know, the MSP for the yeah. funding comes in. I think there's an opportunity then, like to say, that's a good point, of course. You know, this money will not be available for transfers. This money will be, you know, this money is going towards the stadium. I, I don't say like writing the press release for them, but give the message that at the moment, as you're aware, like the, the, all the club's funds are towards the new yeah. stadium, yeah. without necessarily saying, "Oh, that means we've got nothing constant." That is our focus of our financial, yeah. fa- our financial strategy at the moment is built around the stadium. Without mm-hmm. ne- and just inferring, oh, that means by the way, we've got no money for transfers. Without <laughs> saying, oh, by the way, just, we've got no do money. You, do you just on that? Because obviously, you know the. The investment is still ongoing. Those talks it hasn't yeah. been signed off yet, and yeah, there is there is an acceptance within the club and within you know MSP and, and those around them that this might be a deal that doesn't quite get. They're expected to get over the line this summer, but it might not. It might be an overhang into the mm. season when yeah, it does yeah, yeah. do it. And obviously, I agree with what you're saying in the sense that that investment and the confirmation that provides an opportunity to have this conversation. Do you? If that investment was to be confirmed after the season started, do you think that would be too late? Uh, not necessarily so. I mean, I think because uh, I say I don't think it'd be telling people something they, they don't know, isn't it? They, I think everybody's aware by the players we've been linked with, our transfer activity mm. thus far that, that times are hard, and um, and I think it might be something better, best said after the fact, as it were, really. Um, but as you say, I mean. The timing of this such thing is, is a good time for I just think that MSP thing is, is just tied into that I, I mean I don't, what would what would the club say what would the statement be sorry we've got no we've got no money for transfers I think the big worry though isn't it for fans is this Kevin Fowler interview mm-hmm. that is supposedly being done which the fans forum said would be out by I think it was at the end of June obviously that didn't happen I think then they kind of backtracked a little bit on that and said oh that was just a rough figure of when it could come out and of course one was also you know slated down for January the club said as well you know but now people are you know their mind starts racing doesn't it when something doesn't appear and people expect it to appear and people are saying well is it now worse than what when they spoke or has has it changed or you know is it because there's no good news that it's not being put out And, and I think if they just put that out and it was it might be look it might be it might not be what fans want to be yeah. but at least it's a bit of honesty it's a bit of insight from yeah, someone from my, high up yeah, from my concern as well just in, in terms of, of leaving it until after any deal sign up the season's already started it's, you almost I certainly agree there's an argument said that the club can't win whatever it says or mm. whenever it yeah, says yeah. It. I, I have to be fair to him on that 
there's also a danger if you do it after the season started or you know maybe when the transfer windows ended or your know, investment is, is confirmed well Devon have had a good start to the season and then you come out and say look I know we've had a good start to the season but yeah. you know this is going to be tough then all of a sudden it, it, it holds some of the momentum and the, posit- the positive momentum they might have built similarly if they have a really bad start to the season they come out and say well yeah it's going to be tough then I think there'll be a degree yeah. of which you say well you know, thanks for telling us now like, I, mean, I think, I think yeah. the message has got to be delivered yeah. before the start of the season either way can I just ask a question does any any other Premier League club as a matter of course give their fans an update on their transfer activity some have probably in the past, yeah. That's the village's personal and managed to be where he explained yeah, 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 yeah. why. And so I think Brentford have done it in the past yeah. as well. Where but it's an exception rather than the rule, isn't it? Yeah. Dan Ashworth, yeah. I think, to last year, didn't he, but he said. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it is an exception rather than rule, but I also think that Everton, the circumstances in which Everton find themselves are also exceptional. It, it's it's yeah. an opportunity um, for communication, isn't it, of a constructive side. So I, I also get that. Um, I think as well, it's an opportunity to get on the front foot before a competitive ball's kicked, yeah, yeah, which is yeah. the big thing. Because, you, you know, you want people walking in that opening day, Cudders against Fulham, everyone's together, everyone united, everyone, you know, there aren't roll, many rolling a team. And that's why I say create a siege for mentality all the reasons now. that we've discussed, there aren't many avenues in which the club can get on the front foot and be proactive no. with at this present moment in time. Rebuilding or perhaps or improving relationships with the fans is something that they certainly can be. And you think that, that might be something that's worth investing in now, you know, at a time when obviously, you know, there, there perhaps people would be, there's a more conducive environment mm. to have that conversation. Um, right, we've been gabbing on for ages now, so we're going to bring this to an end. Um, thanks to everybody for, for, for joining us. Thanks to everyone that's watching it. We're in a wonderful Lovelocks Cafe in, in the middle of Liverpool City Centre. And for those who've listened to us as well, we'll be back later on this week, probably in Thursday, when, when Chris will have swapped his, his, his pinstripe suit for his hiking boots and will be, uh, be live from his alpine retreat um, with the latest from what's going on with Sean Dice and, and, and his merry men out, out there on the, uh, the French Swiss border. But yeah, we've been a Royal Blue podcast. Thanks ever so much for listeners. Thanks for followers. Thanks for reading that content. We really appreciate it. Keep smiling. Have a good week till we next speak to you. You've been listening to the Royal Blue podcast from the Liverpool Echo.